You know, we all have one, have a number of things in common. But there's all things that every Christian and unsaved people as well. There's one thing we all have in common. And there's one thing that we all experience. It's called suffering. Suffering. You know, I've never preached many sermons on suffering. But every way I've turned the last three weeks, God's been saying, well, first of all, he put a book in my hand. I was cleaning out my study upstairs. And um, I'm not a perfectionist, but it was cluttered up. And I, I had to get all the books straightened out. And they were just everywhere. So I spent two hours. And, and you know, I found a book. I don't know who gave it to me. Called The Sword of Suffering by Dr. Stephen Olford. And God said, you need, you need to read that book. I said, that's good. Well, then just a few days later, maybe a week, a person says, do you have the book Trage- uh, Triumph Through Tragedy by David Wilkerson? I said, no, I'm going to get it to you. Well, The Sword of Suffering, Triumph Through Tragedy. And every way I turned, God was said, now, when are you going to deal with the subject of suffering? Well, I came into the prayer meeting Friday night, and one of the ladies was standing at the back. She said, now, Brother Fred, the Bible says in the armor of God we have a sword, and it's two-edged. It's a two-edged sword. And, 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 and she, she said, well, I, with one edge we fight the enemy, and that may be right. But what's the other edge for? And you see... You know what uh, Simeon told Mary and Joseph in the temple when they brought Jesus to dedicate him? Well, let me show you what they told him. Turn to Luke chapter 2. And, and, and it's amazing what the angel told Mary, I mean, Simeon rather, told Mary. Uh, he had been told by God that he was going to live. Now stay with me. Simeon was been told by God that he was going to live until he saw the Christ child, the Savior of the world. So Joseph and Mary bring Jesus in for his dedication in the temple. Simeon sees him, picks him up, and declares that this is the one who will be the divider of Israel. This is the one who's the Savior of the world. And then he said to, to Mary in Luke 2.34, he said, Then Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your soul. Do you hear what he said to Mary? He said, A sword is going to pierce through your soul. Wow. A sword will pierce through your own soul that the thoughts of many, her, of many hearts must be revealed. And you know what that sword was? It was a sword of suffering. Can you imagine how Mary suffered when she saw Jesus called a demon-possessed man? When she saw Jesus persecuted, attacked, by the Pharisees and scribes. Can you imagine how she felt when all the religious 
quote, Pharisees and Sadducees, just turned against her son. Can you imagine how she suffered when she saw him nailed to the cross? His face so marred from plucking out his beard that he couldn't be recognized. You know what happened to Mary? A sword passed through her soul. And it was a sword of suffering. And you notice it said it would pass through her soul. Didn't say it passed through her body. Because you know why it said the sword passed through her soul? Was because that's where we have feelings. That's where our sentiment is. That's where our emotions are. That's where we feel emotional and spiritual pain. And so there is a sword of suffering. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he was converted, the angel uh, told uh, the one he went to on the uh, street of straight, uh, you tell Paul, what Saul, who became Paul, tell him what great things, tell him what a great preacher he's going to have, how everybody's going to love him. No, it said, tell Paul, Saul, that what he, tell him what great things he's going to suffer for the kingdom of God. I want you to turn in your Bible if you have it, in, or you can read on the screen. 2 Corinthians talks about suffering. I want to look in chapter 1, verse 3. Now, hear me carefully. You know, there are those who say, when you become a Christian, that everything's just going to be rosy from their own. You're always going to have the wind at your back. You're always going downhill. You're always going to have more money than you need. You're always going to be prosperous. You're not ever going to get sick. You're not ever going to have trouble. There's just one thing wrong with that. It's a bunch of baloney. That's what's wrong with it. It ain't true. If it is, they don't know the same God I know. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, the good news is, in the sickness, in the suffering, in the pain, in the trouble, as a child of God, we have the greatest comforter in all the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. But that does not mean the absence of suffering. And so listen to what Paul wrote in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now that mean comfort means the God who comes alongside of you. Now that that's, that's, the Holy Spirit's called the comforter. When the comforter is come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so when it says he's the God of all comfort, he says he's the God who the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you. The Father of mercy is the God of all comfort. All right, look at verse 4. Who comforts us in our tribulation, affliction. He comes alongside of us in our affliction. Who comforts us in all our tribulation so that we may be able to comfort, come alongside others who are in trouble with the same comfort, the same comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation abounds through Christ. 
Paul said, you know, when you go through affliction or suffering, you know, God comes right alongside you. And said he comes alongside you and brings you <clears throat> and helps you through. He's there for you. And then he enables you to come alongside somebody else who has the same suffering and the same affliction and the same difficulty you have. And said, that's, that, that's one of the great blessings of, of suffering is that you know what it is to suffer, but you're able to comfort others who also suffer. And so this matter of suffering is just a reality. We all experience it. And there's no way in one message I can even touch the surface of the theology of suffering and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do that. What I want to talk to you is about three things from the Word of God. First of all, the reality of suffering, that it's real. Secondly, the realm of suffering. Where, where do people suffer? What's the realm of suffering? Then I want to talk about the rest that is found in Jesus. I told you about Simeon who said to um, Mary, you can have a sword pierced through your soul, the sword of suffering. Talk about Paul, how he said that God comes alongside us in our suffering so we can comfort others with the same comfort he comforts us. Those who say that Christians do not suffer are deceived and are misleading people because that is not true. Some of the greatest men and women of God have suffered most of their life and ministered in the midst of their suffering. You know, I I was thinking, in the 58 years that I've been in the ministry, I think I've walked alongside Almost every kind of suffering there is. I mean, I wasn't watching it from afar. But it seems like in this church or that church or this church or that church. I want to say I've had the privilege. But I've had the reality. Of not watching from afar. But with walking with people. Through their suffering. You know. David Wilkerson, in his book, Triumph Through Tragedy. You know what that book's made of? I recommend you get it. It's just made up of nothing but letters. Now, get this. He got thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of letters from people that were ministered to him through his radio program, through his books and his messages. And my high, he's ministered myself. But in the book, all it is is... Letters that he got. He just puts this testimony, this letter, and this letter, and this letter, and this letter. And, and you read it, and these are people that have written in and talk about how, what kind of suffering they had, how God walked with them through the suffering, how they came out on the other side, and how some came out in heaven. It's amazing. But you know, th- there were four or five things that were in those letters that just kind of spoke to me. So I want to talk about about four or five things of suffering. Number one, I want to talk about sickness. Then I want to speak about abandonment. And then I want to speak about our children. And I want to speak about being homebound. 
and isolated. I want us to be able to speak about the suffering of being unable to work and to provide for your family. And of course, maybe one of the ultimate sufferings, the death of a loved one. You know, um, Stephen Olford's book, The Sword of Suffering, was written out of his own experience fighting cancer. Dr. Olford noticed a lump under his arm and went to a doctor there in Memphis. They took a biopsy, came back. He and his wife, Heather, and his son, Jonathan, was there. And they said, you've got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or something. And it it was bad. And said, we've got to start your treatment today. And here Dr. Olford, this great man of God, was staring in the face that he had cancer and that he was going to have to go through chemotherapy. And he said in his book, he said, they gave him a piece of paper that had all the side effects of chemotherapy, and he thought he'd just go ahead and die. (laughs) He said it was the worst thing he'd ever read in his life. But the sword of suffering is his biography of how God brought him through cancer, through all the treatments, through all the pain, through all the sores in his mouth, the losing all his hair. But God brought him through. And he had many years of ministry after that. And it was just such a powerful, powerful thing. You know, um, I, I tell you the thing about sickness. You, you don't have to be 75 to get sick. Did you know that? I know 12-year-olds that have gotten sick. i known 11-year-old children. In fact, I was standing by the bed side of one who died from an illness. And so we've got to understand that when Adam sinned, now stay with me, this will help you. When Adam sinned, we went from having an immortal body not subject to sin or death, not subject to sickness or death. We went from having an immortal body when Adam sinned to having a mortal body. You can love God with all your heart, be living a righteous and holy life, and you can get sick. Or you can be a wicked, be living a wicked life and, and just living for the devil and be well. So this idea that is out there that you're not, you don't ever get sickness unless there's sin in your life. The Greek word for that is baloney. It's just not right. David Brainerd, one of the greatest men of God, who literally won the Indians to, to, to Christ, influenced all the East Coast, influenced the Indian tribes. At 37, caught, was coughing up blood in the snow in Virginia. But he kept on, kept on until he died. And the point I'm saying to you is this, that sickness is a part of living. It's a part of living. And you know, uh, I'm just like you. I'm not afraid to die. I just want to die well. But that ain't the way it works out. Lord, I, I tell you what, I don't want to suffer at all, and I just want to go straight to heaven. He said, you don't have that choice. That ain't your call. But I'm going to tell you something. 
Sickness is real, and suffering is real. Nothing breaks my heart more than to see. And I thank God for modern medicine, and I thank God that he heals sometimes directly. But I just thank God that there's things that we can do. But I tell you what, it is hard to watch people suffer. My God. You want to fix it. But it's a reality. And so we've got to understand that if we haven't walked through it, we will. But I want to talk to you later about the rest in the midst of suffering. But there's the suffering of sickness. But let me tell you another one. That this might shock you. There's the suffering of abandonment. A man walks into his wife and says, uh, I don't love you anymore. I, don't, I, don't, I, I used to, but I don't love you. I, I don't want to live with you anymore. And so he packs his bags and moves into an apartment. And there she is. Sometimes she has two or three kids. She's all alone. I read letter after letter in David Wilkerson's book from men whose wife had abandoned them. It seemed like they were more able, equipped to survive. But I read letter after letter after letter of women who had given the best years of their life. And then all of a sudden, the selfish, wicked, ungodly husband comes in and says, I, I don't want to be married to you anymore goes off and marries his secretary, goes off and lives with some other woman. And can I tell you something? Buddy, that's painful. That's suffering when somebody abandons and you feel all of a sudden you feel all alone. I've walked with people through that pain. I'm telling you, my God, what I want to do is go find the guy that walked off and left him and I'm not going to tell you what I want to do, but, I'm, I'm, but it just, I, it angers me. My God, it angers me. But I just got to realize they're lost. They don't know Jesus Christ. They're selfish, self-centered. They're living for themselves. And the same thing is true of a woman who would do the same thing, who'd walk away from years of marriage, may, maybe two years, maybe 10 years, but it's suffering. I am telling you, it's suffering. And I'm going to tell you something. I know there's some of you who've been divorced who didn't want to be divorced. You didn't want to be. That was not your plan, but you were abused or your husband or wife was unfaithful to you and committed adultery on you. You did all you could, and when you laid down your head on your pillar at night, you said, well, is there anything I can, else I can do to save this marriage? And there wasn't anything you can do. And then you went through the tragedy, the suffering of divorce. And I want to tell you that is suffering. I'm telling you, it's suffering. It is just pure suffering. There's no winners. And the biggest losers are the children. They feel abandoned. Most of them don't ever get over it. Oh, they'll be all right, Brother Fred. You are deceived. They will not be all right. I have talked to hundreds of people, thousands, who've gone through the suffering of divorce. But I never forget the lady. I happened to be going to the funeral home to see someone's family and was standing there at the casket of the person who died. And this lady came up to me and said, Brother Fred, you told me 
that I'd get over this divorce. She said, I'm going to tell you. I'm not over it. And she said, I'm just going to be frank with you, Brother Fred. Divorce is worse than dying. When you die, there's a finality to it. When you divorce, it keeps going on and on and on and on and on and on. There's the suffering of sickness. There's the suffering of abandonment. But you know, there's also the suffering that's caused by your children. You know, now, none of us are perfect parents. You know that. Before my wife and I had any children, I was going to write a book, 10 Ways to Raise Perfect Children. <laughs> then I had children, I, I wrote a book said, I don't have a clue. <laughs> you look back on it and you say, man, if I'd just been a better father, if I'd just been a better daddy, you know, you always, but, but sometimes, you know, you do, you, you, you've got all the pressures of life. I'm not trying to excuse anything, but sometimes you do the best you know to do and you know you fail, but then your children make wrong choices and they go down wrong roads and, and, and then they, they, are, get, they, get in, they get in over their head, they get in over their head and you see them over their head and, and, and you say, then you say, well, it's my fault. It's my fault. If I would have done more, it wouldn't have happened. And you just suffer. My Lord, you suffer through your children. You suffer through them. I have talked to so many people, so many people in this church and other churches that I've been in, and they come in and say, Brother Fred, what am I going to do about my son? He's living with me, but he won't work, and he's drinking and taking drugs, and, 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 and he's just living off of me. What am I going to do? I said, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to stop enabling him to do that, and you're going to put him out and make him go get, get a job and go to work. Well, he'll be on the streets. I say, well, good. Then maybe he'll get a job. You can't enable him to continue in that life. But I love him. Well, I know you do. That's why you want to do what's right for him. That's why you're not going to enable him or her to continue to take advantage of you because they're selfish, self-centered, they're addicted, and most of the time, they're lost. Boy, I never will forget. I tell you, the devil steals, kills, and destroys. And I, I, I just know parents right now that are just, they got a daughter here and a daughter here and a son there. My God, the pain they're going through, I just... It overwhelms me. But this one stands out in my mind. He was 18 years of age, nice-looking, blonde-headed boy, graduated from high school. I was living in Greenville, South Carolina, pastor in the Monningham Baptist Church, and he decided to go with a bunch of his friends to Myrtle Beach to celebrate their graduation. So, no, they get down there, you know, and the devil's trying to destroy him anyway. He's trying to destroy him. So they said, now what we're going to do, everybody's going to do, is you've you, you got to drink as much liquor as you can at one time. Well, this boy never had drunk much. Well, he turns up a fifth of liquor and drinks the whole thing, and guess what happens to him? He dies of alcohol poisoning. And I have to go and say, what do you say to his mama? What do you say to his father? My God, what do you say when he's laying there in the casket? Man, that's called suffering. Nobody can cause you to suffer 
as much hardly as your children. And if God has blessed yours and they're on the right path, thank God. But if they're in the struggle and the enemy's trying to destroy them, I'm going to tell you what you got to do. But I'm just going to tell you one thing. So many people in this room, all of us, have gone through the suffering that's caused by our children. And I can feel guilty, you can feel guilty, but it don't do any good. It is what it is. And we have got to ask God to use us to make a difference. You know, I'll tell you another thing that I didn't realize was a source of suffering. And, and, and I'm, I, this is going to shock you a little bit. But when you use, lose your independence... It's called when you lose your driver's license and you can't, you no longer have any way to go where you want to go, no longer to do what you want to do, and one or both of you are really infirm and old, and there you are, homebound. You used to love to go to church, but you can't go anymore. You used to love to get together with your friends and play dominoes. I don't understand dominoes. I do not want to understand dominoes. But a lot of people love it. Oh, yeah, and so they play dominoes. And they do. But you know, I got thinking about somebody was telling me about two people in our church that I love dearly. And, and I used to see them all the time. And it goes, it goes back 35 years. And said, you know, he's 90. He can't hardly move. She's caring for him. She's almost as old as he is. And, and I, as I was thinking about this, you know, that's got to be, that's rough. When you're homebound, when you feel isolated. And that's why you got, we got to never forget those who used to be with us who are not with us now. That's why every one of our deacons has a widow assigned to him. Because we don't want them to be forgotten. Under God, we don't want that. But you know, I, I get to thinking, well, Lord, I hope he takes me to heaven before I get homebound. But I don't have a call on that. Well, when you're unable to work and provide for your family, you got back trouble, you got other diseases, and, and you're just not able to, to work. And... Uh, you're not even old enough, some of you, to get Social Security. And if you are old enough, it don't make a difference. You can't hardly get any groceries with it. No, I mean, that's just reality. And, and boy, I'll tell you something. There's just a certain amount of hurt in not being able to do and provide like God wanted you to be. You're just not able to do it anymore because of illness. Not laziness, but illness. And I'm going to tell you something. You see, suffering's not just sickness. It's so many ways people suffer. And I want to tell you something. The pain is real. Of course, I, I saved this one to the last because everybody, everybody, most everyone in here has already experienced this. If you haven't, you will. And that's when a loved one dies. You know, I'd preached many funerals when my father died in 1974. And I'd walk with a, few, a good, good many people through death. And 
And it was painful when my father died. And I, I knew for the first time the personal pain of the death of a loved one. Well, that was 74. It went on to 1983. And I was so much closer to my mother than I was my father. And she got sick with congestive heart failure. Lived to be 83. Raised seven children on a policeman's salary. Never complained. Read the word of God every day. Loved Jesus. Before I was ever born, Lord, she, she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back as a preacher. I don't know whether to thank her. Or I, no, I'm not going there. No, I, 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 I did thank her. Thank God that she dedicated me to Jesus to preach the gospel before I was ever born. Did I have a choice? Yes. But praise God, God answered her prayers. But I'm going to tell you something. I told you that to tell you this. I thought I knew pain. I tell you, when she died, I knew that she was embraced in the arms of Jesus. But I tell you, there was an emptiness. There was a hole in my heart. I said, God, it'll never be filled. And I've, I've talked to so many of you and know so many of you that someone precious and dear to you has, you know they're in heaven. You know it. But I've watched the tears. I've watched the pain. I've heard you ask the question, why can't I get over it? The only way you'll ever get over it is in t with time, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. There's no easy way. And by the way, it's good to grieve. It's good to cry. It's good to get those emotions. Don't you know when that sword pierced Mary's side... When Jesus was on the cross, don't you know? She wasn't there stoic. Don't you know? The tears like a river flowed down her eyes. The reality of suffering, the realm of suffering, but the rest, the rest that you find in suffering. Let me give you three things. First of all, now, I, I don't believe in pious platitudes going in to say to somebody who's in the midst of suffering and pain and flippantly saying, everything's going to be all right. Going in there and just tossing out some scripture that I hadn't even felt or thought about. Sometimes people, when, when they're suffering, they don't need platitudes or they don't need quipped, you know, memorized sayings. Sometimes they don't need for you to do anything but go there and tell them you love them and put your arms around them. And say, I'm here for you. Everybody can do that. I'll tell you, love speaks a thousand languages. A thousand languages. But you've got to remember this. Whatever the tribulation, whatever the trouble, whatever the sorrow, you've got to first of all know that if you're a child of God, you have a loving Heavenly Father. Nothing changed. The cancer didn't change it. The wayward child didn't change it. The abandonment of divorce didn't change it. If you're a child of God, when you walk 
through the valley of suffering. You have a loving heavenly father, and that has not changed. He is the eternal God. He is the everlasting God. And listen to me, whatever suffering you go through, God is still on his throne, and God is still there, and all he's wanting you to do is to look to him. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a minute. But also you've got to remember when you go through suffering that you've got a, li- you've got a living Savior who promised you he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He promised you that. Jesus didn't say, I- I- I'll never leave you nor forsake you unless you suffer. He didn't say that. Listen, the Bible says, let me tell you what the Bible says. He bore our sicknesses and our pain. He bore our sorrows and our pain. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knew what it was to suffer. Jesus knew what it was to have a broken heart. He wept at the grave of Lazarus. So I want you to know one thing. When you go through the suffering, you've got a loving Heavenly Father, and you have a living Savior who has told you He would never leave you nor forsake you. But also, you got the precious Word of God. The precious Word of God. Filled with the promises of God. Filled with the promises of God. Lord, you know, this is hard. But I know you're there. You love me, Father. Jesus, you know. You know what pain is, Lord. Jesus, I know you know. But I don't thank you that you're with me. You're in me. You're not ever leaving me or not forsaking me. And you told me your grace was sufficient. And by the way, Lord, I I just want to read your promises again. All the promises that you've given me. You've got the precious word of God. You know, let let me give you uh, (laughs) two scriptures about the Heavenly Father. And one of them, you know, you just want to shout on one of them. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. So when I'm saying when you're going through suffering, you've got to remember this. It's Psalm 46. One through three, and it's it's an awesome. I, I, it's not a. What, what did I say it was? It is Psalm uh, forty six one through three. There you go. All right, let me see if I find forty six. If he got the right one on the screen, he does. Won't you read the screen? I don't want to. I want to read it out of the Bible. Forty six one. No, wait a minute. That is not the one I'm looking for. You know why? And it's not my fault. I'm in the book of Isaiah. <laughs> Listen, when you're 77, you have a right to miss a book every now and then. I mean, come on. I said, Lord, I'm, I am really confused. He said, what's new? All right. Psalm 46, now listen to this. I love this. God is my refuge. I'm going to get in there. He's he's a place of safety. God is my refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Lord, I needed to know that. God is my refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters are troubled, though the mountains shake and there is swelling. Hey, listen, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
Now, I love this one. And it's going to be hard for you to find, but you can look on the screen. Deuteronomy, that's in the Old Testament, by the way. Chapter 33, verse 27. Man, I love this. Woo. I got this out of Dr. Olford's book, The Sword of Suffering. And he, he, he just took this, and, and he just had about two pages on this verse. Now, now listen to this. When you're going through suffering, remember your loving Heavenly Father. He's our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Verse 27. The eternal God is our refuge. And get this. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Think about that. God is our refuge, and underneath us are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Let me tell you about the everlasting arms of God. Let me tell you about it. When you're going through suffering, they're the the everlasting arms of God, and they're long enough to reach everybody. You say, but it, it, it wouldn't reach me. Oh, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're God's child. Let me tell you something. The everlasting, underneath are the everlasting arms. They'll reach you. And they're not only extensive enough to reach everyone. They are there for you to rest in. I tell you what. uh, Underneath you. You know the hard part is in the midst of suffering, it's hard to get your mind off the suffering. It's hard to get your mind off the pain. It's hard to get beyond the anxiety and fear that the enemy tries to bring against you. So won't you just do this? Why don't you say, God, this is way too big for me. So I'm just going to rest and lay my head on the pillow of your everlasting arms. And Lord, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And I know one thing. You love me more than anybody else loves me. And nothing's caught you by surprise. And God, you, you, know, you know everything about the suffering I'm going through, whether it's sickness or abandonment or isolation or children. or God, you know, about, you know everything about it. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And it said he will say here, destroy. And you can say to the devil and all the demons of hell, in the name of Jesus, I won't receive anything from you in this suffering. Did you hear me? I won't receive anything from you, Satan, in this suffering. And I place the blood of Jesus between me and you. And I will not accept anything from your hand. Well, then there's not only the Father, but there's the ever-present Savior. All right, let me give you these verses. Romans 8, you know them, but... That's just it. You know them and you forget them. You need to live by them. And I tell you what, when you're suffering, you will live by these. Because, you know, you don't know that God's all you need till he's all you got. When your independence is gone and your self-sufficiency is crashed, then you say, help. Look at what it says, verse 35 of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, uh, can sickness, can abandonment, can wayward children, can uh, being homebound and isolated, 
unable to work, death of a loved one. Well, who can separate us? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? It says, no, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're more than conquerors, verse 37. Then he said this, and if whatever you're going through, I want you to remember this about Jesus. He lives in you. I'm persuaded that neither death, oh, death, nor life, whatever I experience in life, our principalities, our powers, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, no other created being can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ, my Lord. I stand on that this morning. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. I don't know what you're going through, but Jesus has not forsaken you, and he is there, and he loves you with an everlasting love, and all he wants you to do is to rest on his everlasting arms. And you can do that when you can't do anything else. But I don't feel like it. You're never going to feel like it. You're just by sheer faith saying, Dear God, I don't know the outcome, but I know the one who holds the outcome. You can thank God for an ever-present Savior. Now let me give you two other verses, and I'm going to wind this up. Turn to uh, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. So here I am in, in the midst of suffering and pain, and I said, Lord, I, I, man, I'm just about out of gas. You know, I'm, if I'm not at the end of my rope, I'm close. And um, in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, look what it says. So you, you're battling cancer, or it's a brain tumor, or it's diabetes. Or it's arthritis. Or it's a bad back. Or you can't remember nothing. <laughs> so what do you do <laughs> when you can remember something? Think about God. <laughs> it says here in verse 3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on his suffering. That is not what it says. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever, for Yahweh the Lord is your everlasting strength. Let me read it again. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, trust in the Lord forever. Yea, for, for Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. Okay, so suffering is real. All right, what do you do? You pray, you pray, you pray. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. Matthew 11, 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. Lord, I'm laboring and I am heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Well, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon of you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest to your soul. When you are suffering, pray, and then you pray, and then you call somebody and get them to pray for you, and then you tell the church to pray for you, and you get everybody you can to pray for you. One thing I noticed in the book that David Wilkerson, through Triumph the Tragedy, everybody's testimony was people started praying for me. People started praying for me. 
Did all of them live? No. But they went out in victory. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. Did all the children get right? Some of them did. Some of them didn't. But the main thing is they made it through because they had people praying for them. So you pray and get people to pray for you. Don't be too proud to ask somebody to pray for you. My heavens. We're all in the same boat, right? You say, I don't like the boat. You ain't got a choice. Let's go. All right, not only pray, but listen. Listen to what God says to you. In your suffering, in your praying, in your pray, but then listen. And, and this is just, just this one verse. Isaiah 41, 13. Listen to what it says. And just believe this. Man, and, and you, you say, am I hurting too bad? I mean, the, the pain's too real, and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But just, just say, well, God, I'm going to believe this. It says in, in, in 41, verse 13, For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Well, Lord, I want you to know I thank you for that, and I need it. Anybody else here need it? Boy, you're all a lot better shape than I am then. The Lord God will hold you by your right hand saying, I will help you. What you've got to do, you've got to pray and you've got to listen. And then you've got to believe. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I'm, I've got hope in my suffering, Lord. I've got hope. I've got hope for my son, for my daughter. I've got hope for my marriage. I, I, I've got hope for this illness. Lord, I've got hope. And faith is the substance of things I'm hoping for. And it's the evidence of things I cannot see. Because without faith, it's impossible to please you. For that, when I come to you, I must believe that you are. And you reward those who diligently seek you. Now the Lord, for three weeks, just kept saying, deal with suffering. So, I just scratched the surface. I didn't, this was no great theological discourse. But I'm going to tell you, God knew you were going to be here. And God knew the pain and the suffering you're going through. And you're not here by accident. God wanted you to know that he loves you, he cares for you, he has not forgotten you, and all he wants you to do is to rest on his everlasting arms. And I pray that you will.